True Scary Story is a podcast about personal, terrifying stories dealing with the paranormal. True accounts from people who live through strange and supernatural experiences, told directly by them. My name is Edwin Covarrubias, and for years I have been listening to stories from people who have shared their most frightening true experiences with me. There was one story recently called There's Something in the Closet where Juanita tells us about her experiences growing up in a house where she would see objects physically move on their own, but the rest of her family would act as if nothing was happening. It wasn't until years later that she found out what the source of it all was. Which makes me wonder, if you were to witness a haunting, who would believe you? Come find True Scary Story by typing it into your app right now. I'll see you over there on True Scary Story. Horror Story is a podcast about strange and mysterious true horrors. My name is Edwin Covarrubias, host and producer of Horror Story. In the show, I have an episode called There's a Stranger in Your Walls, and it's about a woman that moved out of her home because she thought it was being haunted. But the truth happened to be even scarier than the ghosts. Other stories dive deep into the supernatural, like the one of the most infamous cases of real ghosts, called The Haunting in San Pedro. But if you're into mysteries, learn about the pilot who disappeared in the sky. All of these and more are available on Horror Story right now, with more episodes coming out every single week. You can search for the podcast by typing in Horror Story on your podcast app right now. The show is the one with the yellow letters. I'll see you over there on Horror Story. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. You're listening to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. On tonight's edition, we invite you to leave behind your safe reality and descend with us into the frightening depths of the most terrifying imaginations with two audio adaptations of frightening fiction about surreal side effects and wretched reunions. I'm your host, Steve Taylor, and tonight I'll be your guide as we traverse the dimly lit corridors of your darkest dreams. Joining us tonight to help bring to life the frightening fiction of Fill in the Blanks and Corpse Child are voice talents Felipe Ojeda, Justin Reynolds, Otis Jiry, Melissa Medina, and myself. Now, get your ticket ready. Take your seat in our Theater of the Minds. And brace yourself. It's time to turn off the lights and turn on the dark. 
Our first tale of the evening is written by Phil in the Blanks and is performed by Felipe Ojeda. In it, we'll meet a man who, against his better judgments, gets his annual flu shot to silence his girlfriend. This shot puts him to sleep for hundreds of years. He wakes up in a world that is not his. So without further ado, I present to you, I wasn't thankful. I can't remember the last time I felt so rested after a long night's sleep, and it was warmer than I had ever felt lying in bed. I probably have a couple more hours of sleep left since I can't even see a drop of daylight. If I see even a sliver of light coming from under the shades, I must drag my ass into the bathroom and prepare myself for another mundane day at work. I smile, knowing that I have a few more hours of restful sleep in my surprisingly warm bed. I close my eyes and suddenly feel a shiver run down my spine. I begin remembering a dream I must have had earlier in my slumber. I was coming home from work when my wife texted me and reminded me that I was overdue for my flu shot. I so hate getting shots. She'd been telling me for two weeks that I needed to get the shot because there was a horrible flu strain this year. I kept giving her excuse after excuse. I've got a meeting at work. I have to prepare for a big presentation. She ate them up. Every ounce of them. I did feel guilty lying to my wife like that, but I've never been sick a day in my life, and some little prick on my shoulder wasn't going to help me. Late meetings or any other obligations that would keep me late, they had informed her that I had a typical work day and she'd get her husband home at a reasonable hour. I disliked those pricks more than I hated the prick I was about to receive. I didn't have an appointment with my regular family physician, so I stopped at one of those one-hour quick clinics that's in the rear of those national chain pharmacies. To my surprise, there was no line. I gave the girl at the register my $10, and she had me fill out a short questionnaire about my health history. Nothing big. Questions such as, have I ever taken money for sex, or have I ever shared needles with a person known to have HIV? I, of course, answered no to all of those questions, but even if I had done those horrible acts, I still would have answered no. Although nobody was sitting in the waiting room, I waited for over 20 minutes. I was about to get up and ask for my money back when a tall man in a white lab coat came out from behind the counter and introduced himself. My name is Ron. He began, come with me, please. He didn't smile or make any small talk as we walked behind the pharmacy counter and into the back room. I thought this was odd since I assumed he'd just give me my shot in the clinic's waiting room. Oh well, I didn't mind. I wanted to get the stupid shot so my wife would stop sending me texts of little emoticons with doctor's masks and stethoscopes. There was a stack of boxes blocking the door. He asked if I could help him move some of them out of the way. I guess this room hadn't been used in a while. He doesn't take everybody back here to get their flu shots. I was beginning to get a little bit nervous, but it was a flu shot in a well-known national chain pharmacy. They don't hire lunatics, do they? We entered the room quite small, and he flipped on the light switch. It made that familiar flickering you see in horror movies. I admit, I was starting to get a little anxious. He opened a drawer in an ancient-looking wooden desk and brought out a small wooden box. 
In this box was a glass vial with an unfamiliar text typed on the yellowed label. Is this medicine expired? I asked, trying to sound humorous. I was trying to break the tension in the tiny examination room, which I think doubled as a storage closet. This medicine doesn't expire, he retorted, sounding unamused by my attempted humor. I was doing this for my wife. I'm sure we'd laugh at my adventure at the pharmacy. I imagine this whole ordeal would be over in five or six minutes, and I'd be blasting some tunes in my car on my way home. This event deserved a little hard rock turned up to maximum volume. He asked me which arm I wanted it in, and I said my left arm. He gave me a look of disgust as he nodded his head in the direction of my left sleeve. How stupid was I? I gave him a sheepish smile and proceeded to lift my sleeve. You're going to thank me, he said. That was strange for a pharmacist to say. That's what I remember about my dream. I must have dreamt it a couple of times, for it was so vivid and clear in my memory. I kept imagining his face, so cold and emotionless. It gave me a feeling of dread. I was pretty rested, but since it was still dark outside, I was going to take advantage of it and get a couple more hours of shut-eye. Lying on my back was never my preferred sleeping position, so I rolled over so my left side would face the large window that overlooked the backyard. My shoulder hit something wooden as I prepared my body to accept the new sleeping angle. I was taken aback by this. I swung my elbow to ensure it wasn't just imagining it. I hit the wooden structure and it made a solid thud sound. What the hell is this? I reached over to grab my cell phone to have a little light. I shuffled my hand to feel for it, but it wasn't next to me. It wasn't under the blankets, but wait, there were no blankets. I checked my chest to see if it was in my pajama shirt pocket. I wasn't wearing pajamas. It felt like a suit. I was in a suit. I felt a long necktie and a buttoned shirt with a jacket on. Why the hell was I sleeping in a suit? My heart was pounding. I tried to jump out of bed, but my head hit something hard six inches above me. Wendy, wake up! I shouted to my wife. I reached out for her hand, but my right hand hit something wooden, just like my left hand did minutes ago. I pushed my two hands above my head again and felt the resistance. I think I'm in a box. I kicked up my feet and felt more obstructions. My feet, wearing shoes, kicked violently at the wooden fortress that I had discovered myself in. I screamed at the top of my lungs, Help! Somebody help me! I'm trapped in here! For God's sake, please let me out! I thought that maybe I'd been kidnapped and that I was being held for ransom in some old dank basement. Who would want to kidnap me? I was a damn accountant. Nobody kidnaps accountants. People kidnap accountants' bosses, but not accountants. After my tirade of kicking and screaming, I thought my abductors would come running to the box and start screaming obscenities at me. I waited and listened for them. I was going to get to the bottom of this and ask what they wanted. I would tell them that I had $40,000 hidden in a suitcase buried under my back porch. It was all I had. Seriously, it, I had no savings, and my wife and I lived paycheck to paycheck. I waited for what must have been 10 minutes and nothing. And then it happened. I had a sinking feeling in the pit of my stomach. I was in a box, 
I had on a suit. I was in a coffin. I was in a fucking coffin. How could this have happened? I wondered to myself. Then the tears came, followed by more kicking and shouting. The vomiting came after my tirade. I didn't know what I could have thrown up since I hadn't eaten anything since I died. I clawed at the felt-lined box, hoping to find some sort of lever. These things had to come with emergency exits, right? People used to be buried alive all the time back in the 19th century. There had to be some way out of here. I managed to get all the felt ripped off above my head, but I was met with a solid chunk of wood. No doorknob or latches. Well, I thought to myself, they thought I was dead when they put me into this box, and now they were right. I'm going to die right here in this wooden, yet comfortable casket. I gave one last kick with my feet and heard something fall as I kicked at the top of the coffin. I reached down with my left hand and felt something metal in my hand. I couldn't see it, so I did my best blind man impression and closed my eyes as I examined the piece of metal between my fingers. I felt smooth edges, lifted it to my nose and sniffed it. It smelled metallic. I could sense two small holes, and in one of the holes there was something dangling from it. I felt a screw. It was a hinge. I had kicked the box so hard that it was falling apart. I knew that if I kicked it too hard, I would have two tons of dirt on my legs. I would die slowly and painfully if that were to happen. I reached up with my hands and could feel the door that swung open at my feet and which door opened at the torso. I could fit my fingers in the cracks and separate the two doors, so I started to pull on the bottom door. It felt pretty loose, so I tugged on it harder and I could feel a small amount of dirt entering the box. I pulled harder and could hear the wood ripping and cracking under my fingers. I was getting out of this box and I was going to run to my wife and hug her. I would write a book about this and become famous. A smile crept across my face and tears of joy came streaming down my now clownish looking appearance. One last yank and I could smell the earth just above my feet. I tucked my legs as close to my chest as possible and continued pulling on the coffin's bottom door. With a final moan, the soil that kept me warm and protected was now flooding my temporary prison. When no more dirt would fill the box, I positioned myself to crawl out, feet first. I slowly inched my way to the earth that had stopped moving. I would never figure out how I could maneuver myself so that my head was up and my feet were beneath me. I decided to make a swimming motion out of the box. The soil was soft at first and then began to harden the further I climbed. I could feel many of my fingernails breaking off as I clawed and scratched the hardened clay that kept me from getting my life back. I punched and used my shoulders to trudge my way to the surface. It must have been two, maybe three hours before I noticed that my entire body was out of the box. I'm six feet tall, exactly. I thought they buried these damn things six feet underground. That was a lie. I must have been pretty close, and to give up now would truly have made me the king of the cowards. I clawed once again. My hands felt raw to the bone. I bit at dirt and spit the soil to the side. I was desperate and knew that the ordeal would soon be over. I threw one final jab with my fist and felt no resistance. I was out. I was finally out. I could go to the hospital and 
get my hands and the rest of my body fixed up later. I had to figure out which graveyard I was in. I had always told my wife that I wanted to be buried in a small hometown with only one cemetery. Climbing out was more complicated than I thought it would be, but I did it. Damn it, I did it. I looked around for headstones, but saw none. I walked for a few minutes and saw nothing indicating that I was in a cemetery. No headstones, no mausoleums. I couldn't even make out a fence or a road. I just kept walking and walking and walking. There were hundreds of enormous trees and tall grasses. Plus, it was so dark. Tiny streams of moonlight shone through the canopy of the trees from above. I didn't remember there being so much wooded area around the town. I trudged along deeper into the woods. I knew that if I walked far enough, I would reach a house or a road. Why was I buried so deep in the woods? Why would Wendy do that to me? She must have been trying to save money and skip the cemetery for the deep woods. There was no sign of civilization anywhere. I noticed where there were breaks in the trees and hundreds of grassy mounds. Some taller than others, but they were all equally spaced apart. The tall grasses were stinging my raw hands as I trudged along. It hurt so badly, I put my hands into my jacket pockets to avoid more pain. I stopped for a moment and sat down against one of the grassy hills that dotted the landscape. I tried to remember the moments leading up to all of this. I thought back to my dream. That's when I realized my numbing realization. That wasn't a dream. That was the last thing I remembered. The last thing I remembered right before I woke up in that damn box. As I lay against that dirt hill, I could feel myself slowly melting into the mound. As I tried to grab a clump of the dirt to keep myself from completely sinking into this hole, I felt myself falling. There was a sound of cracking glass, and I found myself inside a room. I can't see a thing with it being so dark, but I practiced my blind man routine once more like I did in the box. I feel something familiar. It's a chair. I feel around more and can feel the outline of what appears to be a dresser, and next to it, a bed. I smooth my hands up the soft linens and come across a pillow. This wasn't a small hill. It was a house. The landscape was peppered with these houses. How long was I out? How long could it possibly take for Mother Nature to once again regain what was so prevalently hers? Rather than attempt serious injury, I decided not to venture deeper into this once happy abode. I felt around again for the chair and pushed it up against the wall so I could climb out. As my face hit the cool night air, I could faintly smell the aroma of smoke. I figured something was on fire. I followed the scent till it became more robust. As I approached, the smoke became so strong that I could feel the hairs in my nose beginning to burn. In the clearing of the forest, I could hear murmuring, I've found my salvation. There were people here who were going to help me answer any questions that I had, and I had a million of them. I crept slowly to the opening where the forest gave way to an enormous meadow, and there I saw them. They were dressed in what looked like animal fur, and they were short and stout. I could swear their knuckles were touching the earth beneath their feet. They weren't talking, they were grunting, 
some sort of primitive language that was only known to them. I didn't think they were going to make me their king, so I decided to back out of the area as slowly as possible. And that's when I felt it. I could tell that I was leaning against one of them. One of those Neanderthals. He grabbed my arm so tightly, I could feel the bones in my forearm snapping like twigs. The pharmacist was wrong. I wasn't thankful. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed I Wasn't Thankful, as written by Phil in the Blinks and voiced and produced by Felipe Ojeda. You can hear more of author Phil in the Blanks here on our very own network. We are blessed enough to have Felipe Ojeda, not only as a voice actor, but also as one hell of a producer. Keep an ear out for more of his productions and narrations. Our second tale of the evening comes to us from author Corpse Child and is performed by Justin Reynolds, Otis Jiry, Melissa Medina, and myself. After receiving an ominous phone call from a secluded family member, a man tries to find what happened to them, only to uncover a horrifying truth about his family's past. Now, without further ado, I present to you, Family Gathering. Huh? What the... I put the pillow over my head and went back to sleep. They can wait. Probably fucking Katie getting with a damn booty call or some shit. Doesn't she ever get enough? I groaned, still ignoring the phone. I swear to God, I will flush it down the toilet if it doesn't shut the fuck. Crazy train starts blaring from my phone. Great. How am I supposed to ignore that? By either a miracle or the grace of God, whoever the jackass was that decided it'd be appropriate to harass me over the phone at fucking four in the morning on a work night? Hung up before the first guitar riff ended. Guess it wasn't that important after all. That's what I thought anyways. Yet, here I am, unable to sleep because of what happened. How I hate irony. Especially over something so trivial. What I wouldn't have given now to have just sucked it up and answered that goddamn phone. It was Thursday morning last week that I got those texts and phone call. When I woke up again, 
at around, I'd say, 6.15 like usual, that was when I looked at the texts. They were from my Uncle Don. I hadn't seen or heard from him in years. Not since our last family cookout about two or three years back, when I remember he, my father, and grandfather all got into a heated argument about... something. I never knew what it was then, nor did I ever bother to ask. All I knew was... It was enough to both drive Uncle Don away from the family almost entirely, as well as put my father into an especially bad mood for a few days after. Of course, it wasn't like he was ever one to really be in a good mood anyway, and from that day, no one in my family would ever talk about him or bring him up. Then I saw the text that morning. There were three of them, all misspelt too, like he might have been in a hurry when he was typing them. Jack, please. Don't ever go home. The truth will kill you. Obviously, my first thought with this was, what the hell? I'd known Uncle Don to be a bit of an oddball, but this seemed different. Somehow, I felt like I just knew these texts were genuine. He was panicking about something. But what? I looked at my voicemail. Sure enough, he'd actually left a message. I clicked on it to play the message. It was hard to hear. Sounded like there was some kind of interference on the other end. Jack, answer your phone, please. The message seems to pause for a moment, hearing only the static. When Uncle Don came back, he was shouting. Stay away from the house, Jack. It looks like me. It's coming for me. It's too late. Stay away from the home while you still. The audio faded into complete white noise after that and continued for the last 30 seconds of the message. I immediately tried calling him then. Straight to voicemail though. Both times. The second time, I left a message on my own, telling him to call me as soon as he got it. I didn't hear back though, and it was an entire day later before I ever found out why. It was the next morning, early. I'd been woken up to a knock at my door, groaning. I shambled out of bed and went to answer. The knocking at the door was persistent too. I hated it when people did that. Peeping through the door, I saw that it was my sister, Lana. She was in tears. Oh God, he did it again, didn't he? Damn it! I thought she'd finally gotten rid of that rat bastard. I could feel every muscle in me tense up as I gripped the doorknob. I was ready to throw the door open, embrace her as tight and close to me as possible and demand that she tell me where that shithill boyfriend of hers, Francis, was. Another half round of knocks sounded before I finally did open the door. Oh God, Lana, are you okay? I asked desperately. She sniffled. I pulled her close and said, shh, it's okay, it's okay. She sobbed in my arms for another minute before I gestured for her to come inside to talk about it. I'd have asked her the million dollar question right there on my porch, 
if I wasn't still in my fucking boxers. Inside, I sat Lana down on the couch. I gave her another minute to clear herself up when she finally spoke. Jack, Don, Uncle Don, he's... Oh God, he's dead, Jack. My eyes widened. What? I exclaimed. When? She sniffed. <laughs> Two days ago. They found him yesterday, though, after a neighbor reported screaming. Two days ago? My heart sank. But, but that was when... I looked at my phone. Up until then, I'd simply put the whole thing out of mind. I figured, if anything, I'd have gotten a call from him calling the whole thing a hoax. What, what happened? God, it was awful. Have you not seen the news? I shook my head. Following the night he tried to call me, I hadn't managed to do much other than work. They found him all over the place, Jack. You mean like a break-in? She shook her head wildly. I don't know. They didn't tell me anything. All I know is somebody killed him, Jack. I hugged her again and offered to make her some breakfast. She declined, though, saying she had to go. She left and I was alone in my living room again. Murdered. I wondered. I spent the next hour and a half or so trying to think of just who the hell would want Uncle Don dead like that. I remembered him being the kind of guy who wanted to keep to himself most of the time. The guy didn't have many friends, sure, but I didn't think he'd made any real enemies either. I mean, other than pissing off Dad and Grandpa. But they wouldn't have wanted him dead, would they? I knew it wouldn't have been Grandpa. He passed away two years back. That'd leave Dad then. Of course, I wasn't really set on the idea though. I mean, again, it wasn't like he hated the guy. Even still though, he was the only one that could tell me why he and Grandpa shunned him for so long. I decided then to call up Dad, seeing if he'd want to meet somewhere for breakfast that morning. We ended up meeting at the diner just across the street from the big shopping mall on the other end of town at around 11 that morning. I arrived early with him only being about five minutes behind me. Hey, Jack. He said, smiling and pulling me in for a hug. Have you been? I've, uh, I've been okay. I replied anxious to dive right into the matter at hand. He sat down and the waitress came for drink orders. I ordered a large sweet tea while he got a cup of coffee. Black. The only way he and Grandpa would have drank it. So what's got you giving me a ring? I took a gulp of my tea and asked, You heard about Uncle Don? His smile instantly fell. I took another swig of tea while he did the same with his coffee. Another moment passed between us in an awkward silence. Yeah... He said finally, in an annoyed tone. Has anyone said anything about how it might have happened? Any ideas of who it was? Maybe? He scoffed dryly. No, don't really reckon they have. Lana told me they think it might have been a break-in. Not likely. The way my brother loved his guns, if anybody was damn stupid enough to try breaking in his house, I'd find it more likely it'd be the other guy that 
carried out there on a gurney. He had a point there. Like most bad uncles you'd hear about, Uncle Don was very much an outdoorsman. I remember the times he'd take me and Lana hiking through the different mountain trails up in Greenview Pines. I also knew, at least when he still kept at least minimal contact with the family, that he'd go up there about every fall or so to take a holiday, usually to go hunting for deer, which he'd then bring over for Thanksgiving dinner that year, Christmas too, if we were lucky. Point is, the man could shoot and loved to do it. Therefore, like Dad said, robbery was ruled out of the equation for me. Dad, I began hesitantly. Dad looked up, clearly not comfortable with this conversation. To a degree, I almost wish I had just left it all there. What happened between you two? I mean, you two used to be cool with each other. What happened at that family cookout? This was when he stared coldly, intently at me. I felt the urge to try walking back the question, but I didn't. I persisted. Dad, what happened between you and Uncle Don? Son, I'm not in the mood for this right now, okay? Let's drop the subject for now, please. But Dad, what if it has something to do with what happened? He raised his eyebrow at me in alarm. What do you mean? He asked. Well, what if whoever did this was a part of whatever turned you two on each other in the first place? He slowly shook his head. No, son. He said, sighing in utter annoyance. There wasn't nobody that had anything to do with that. There wasn't anybody else involved in that. Not that I'd have known of, anyhow. What do you mean? What are you talking about? Involved with what? I stopped when he slammed his coffee mug down, eyeing me like a lunatic. I've said enough. He growled. I shrank back down in my seat. There's a damn good reason we stopped talking to each other, Jack. Our family's had enough to deal with without that son of a bitch carrying on the way he was, okay? And I hate that this happened, but damn it, I'm not getting sucked back into that shit again. Again? I wondered, raising my eyebrows at him in confusion. I'd have probably pressed the question had he not made it perfectly clear by that point that he was in absolutely no mood to continue the conversation. The waitress came back again and we ordered our food. I guess whatever it was between him and my uncle was enough for him to basically ruin his appetite too because he only ordered a slice of cheesecake with a small bowl of ice cream. We ate in a very tense silence, and when he was finished, he silently got up, flung a $20 bill on the table, and walked out of the diner without another word. I guess that, funny enough, was what ended up ruining my appetite, and I ended up not even finishing my own plate of sausage and eggs. After paying and leaving the diner, I got in my car and was about to just head back home when I got another idea instead. I figured, if I was going to get any kind of answers as to what happened, I'd need to go to his house, myself. Of course, there was the immediate drawback to this idea, being that I was explicitly one to stay away. At the same time though, why? Just what was it that made the old family house so dangerous? I grew up in that house, 
and I couldn't remember anything horrible about it. But then, what was it that he was warning me about? It looks like me. What does that mean? And what did Dad know about it? All of these questions continued mounting higher and higher until I eventually caved and decided to make the 45 minute to an hour journey to the old family home. The whole way there, all I could think about was what Uncle Don kept repeating through the phone. The truth will kill you. What truth? It had just gotten to 12.30 when I pulled into the driveway of the old family home in the back roads of Kings Mountain. The house sat there, surrounded on all sides by trees from the surrounding woods, looking every bit as quiet as I remembered it being. It looked every bit as old as I figured it would too. It had been the same house that not only my father and uncle had grown up in, but where my grandparents had as well. The paint, which used to be a sort of beige, now faded into a more piss yellow looking color. From where I was standing, I could see a few places where the window frames were cracked, with the one on the left side having an entire chunk missing from its bottom corner. Aside from that though, it looked to me like it should. Nothing overtly wrong, you know. Just a normal house in Kings Mountain Woods. Old as hell, but normal. I got out of the car and made my way to the house. Jack! I stopped. Turning my head, I looked to see. Nothing. I looked back for at least a minute before turning and continuing on to the house. Must have been the wind, I thought. Listening close, though, I realized the wind was quiet, too. Not even the leaves rustled on the nearby trees. Like I said, completely silent, calm, peaceful. I walked to the porch. Beneath my feet, the old wood creaked loudly. I could feel them starting to give way beneath me. If I wasn't careful, the wood was for sure going to snap under my weight. I tried peeking through the window, but there was furniture or something blocking both of them. I went to open the door then. Jackie boy! I stopped again. What the hell? I looked back again. Nothing. But I heard that. I know I did. I stood for another good 10 or 15 minutes, looking everywhere. But there was absolutely nothing around, save the trees. I closed my eyes and muttered under my breath. There's nothing there. Taking a deep breath, I opened my eyes and turned the doorknob. The door took a bit of effort, but I was able to force it open. When I did, I ended up going into a small coughing fit from all the dust that had been kicked up. Inside it was dark, the electricity obviously having long since stopped working. Pulling out my phone, I clicked my flashlight on and began to walk around. Like the outside, everything inside looked perfectly normal as well, bearing of course the collection of dust and cobwebs everywhere. I went around the ground level of the house, revisiting all the old rooms, one of which used to actually be mine. Every room still looked the same, like nothing had ever been moved or renovated since I moved out when I was 18. Hell, I even saw the old Metallica poster I had hanging on the wall just above my bedpost. As well as this, I even spotted some of the old family photos still hanging on the wall, along with all the old furniture, 
In short, the place hadn't been touched, despite being vacant for years. I found this odd. Wouldn't a realty company or something have come and at least tried to renovate? Also, how come neither mom, Lana, dad, or grandpa, or uncle Don, who lived with us during that time, like I said, close-knit family until the incident at the barbecue, took any of their old belongings with them? The more I stood there walking through that old house, the more I wondered if there was more to the falling out with Uncle Don than I could have guessed, which obviously wasn't much, considering I didn't actually know what sparked the proverbial powder keg. Still though, I just had the feeling that it wasn't just standard fair family feud bullshit either. What truth was he talking about? I decided then to go checking around the upstairs level. The stairs groaned as I stepped up each one of them, trying to be as gentle as possible. Admittedly, the creaking mixing with the overall quiet stillness of the place did start to kind of get to me a bit. You know that feeling you get when you know you're completely alone? It's somehow you feel like you aren't. Like something or someone is there with you. Somehow lingering just outside your line of sight. Your blind spots. Cheesy, sure, but if you were there, you'd understand what I mean. Every room upstairs was the same as the ones below, still the way I remembered them looking back in the day, portraits, knickknacks and all, still in the exact same place. Maybe I should clarify something. When I say the place looked the same or like it hadn't been touched since my family moved out, I don't mean that it looked cluttered or that things were strewn about, or that everything had been neatly set. The rooms looked somewhere in between cluttered and organized. Basically, it looked like there were supposed to be people living there. Only without the people. Needless to say, this raised a mountain of questions for me. Starting with why. Why had the house not been touched in? God knows how long. At least since the year after I moved out, when they ended up following me down to Dallas. Why did everything still look like people lived here? When they hadn't, why hadn't the realty company tried to sell it to anybody else? Hell, did they even know it was empty? Why did Uncle Don want me to stay away from this place? That brought up another question for me. If there was something wrong with this place, something that apparently drove my folks to literally just pick up and leave like that, and if he knew what it was, why did he go back to the house? All of these questions kept leading me back to two things. First was the repeated question of what the hell happened at that family barbecue. And the second was if there really was something about that house, then what was it and how could it kill me? Deep down I knew that these Uncle Don's murder, as well as his cutting off from the family, and Dad's disapproval of any mentioning of him were all connected somehow. The only question then was how. I also knew that while me and Lana were growing up, there wasn't any mention or any way of letting on about anything bad. Unfortunately, that meant she wasn't likely to know anything either. Not about the house itself, that is. Maybe though I figured, it was worth a shot asking if she'd have known why Dad and Uncle Don fell out. I figured if she had any clues on that, then at least she could answer that question for me. More help than Dad was anyways. I took out my phone and dialed Lana's number. It rang for the better part of a minute. 
Jack! I looked around again. What the hell is that? Where is it coming from? Hello? Lana's voice snapped me back into focus. Uh, Lana, hey. Listen, you doing anything right now? I continued looking around the upstairs hallway. Nothing was there. Then who was it that was saying my name? I heard her ask. Yeah, I'm here. I asked you what you were doing, right? Jack? Hello, can you hear me? Something's going on on one of our ends. I, I can't hear anything. Everything's all fuzzy. I frowned. Fuzzy? I walked down the stairs to the living room. How about now? Okay, I, I can hear you a little bit now. What's going on? Come on down and pull up a chair, Jackie boy. I whirled around on my heels. Nothing. Just an empty kitchen. Jack, hello? Oh, uh, yeah, um... What are you doing right now? I just got off work for the day. I'm on my way to Burger King to grab a quick bite from the drive-thru before it. Wait, uh... I paused for a moment looking around. Who's speaking to me? C can I meet you there? Um, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's... Come join us for dinner, Jack. You've been gone so long, Mama's making something special. Every joint in my body locked up. That sounded like Uncle Don. It was the same thing he'd used to tell me and Lana when I used to come back home from playing outside all day when I was a kid. Uh, Uncle Don? I muttered softly, shuddering as I stepped toward the kitchen. I was snapped back to Lana's voice again. Huh? You've said something and you trailed off. Seriously, is everything okay? You're starting to worry me a little here. I shook my head. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's fine. You're talking about the BK there on Rodell Ave, right? Yeah. Okay, listen. Go ahead on inside. I'll meet you there. I need to talk to you about something. I heard her say hesitantly. I'll explain everything when I get there. Just sit tight. I'm about 15 minutes away. Come down to the basement, Jack. There's something there you should see. I lowered the phone and ran into the kitchen. Where are you? Come out now! What? Lana asked over the phone. I almost didn't notice. I hadn't noticed I'd actually said it out loud. Nothing. I'll meet you at Burger King in 15. Love you. Oh, wait, Jack, I... I hung up before she could go any further. For another minute, I stood there in the middle of the kitchen. Come on down, Jackie boy. You should see this. See what? I was stuck between the urge to follow the voice downstairs and wanted to run out of there, screaming like I was in a cartoon. Who was there and why did it sound almost exactly like my uncle? voicemail continued cycling through my head on repeat. That brought back a third element to all this to join the two I mentioned earlier. Whoever it was that he was talking about, he too must have some sort of connection to what happened at the family barbecue, which also means dad and grandpa had at least some kind of knowledge or connection with them as well. 
One more question I'd have to try getting from Lana, I supposed. How much could she have actually known? Could she have actually known Uncle Don's killer? I slowly backed my way back out of the kitchen and made my way out to the front door. Before I left, I gave one last glance back to the living room. Everything was dark, old and dusty, quiet. The truth will kill you, Jack. I closed the door and ran over and hopped into my car, taking off and making a beeline for Burger King. I ended up pulling up around five minutes later than I told Lana. I checked my phone, checking to see if she tried texting me that she wasn't waiting any longer. Fortunately, she hadn't. I went inside and found her chewing on a chicken sandwich and a small fry. Hey, sorry I'm late. Oh, you're fine. She said, taking a sip of her large Pepsi. I hope you don't mind. She gestured towards her food. Oh no, you're okay, I replied anxious. Listen, there's some things I need to ask you about. She looked at me, urging me to go on as she took another bite of her food. You remember the family barbecue three years ago? She swallowed before pausing a moment to think. Not expressly. She replied. I mean, I remember we were all there. It was the week leading to your 23rd birthday party, and everyone was all happy and excited for that. I remember that was also the last time I saw Uncle Don. I swallowed and asked. Lana, do you have any idea why Uncle Don stopped showing up to the family gatherings? She paused for another moment before shaking her head. Not really. I mean, he and the old man kind of got into it, I remember. What about? She looked at me confused. The argument? You have any clue as to what it was about? Again, she shook her head. I remember hearing them start raising their voices at each other a bit, and at least from what I could see, it almost looked to me like they were going to start trading licks before Granddad stepped in and broke the two up. After that, I just remember Uncle Don leaving without another word. You didn't happen to hear anything that was said, do you? Not really. Well, I think I heard something about something or somebody in the basement of the old house. Yeah, yeah, something about Uncle Don seeing something in the old basement. Couldn't hear what, though. And that was the last time I'd seen Uncle Don before. Well... She looked down at her sandwich like she was unsure she wanted to finish it anymore. He never tried to reach out to you? I asked. She looked back up at me, raising her eyebrow in confusion again. No. She answered worriedly. Jack, seriously, what's going on? You've been anxious ever since the phone call. Like, What happened? I sighed. I opened my mouth to speak but stopped. I could hear Crazy Train playing in my pocket. I gestured to Lana to wait a moment before taking my phone out. It was a call from Dad. I got up and walked outside and answered. Hello? Dad? Jack! Dad's voice shouted. My heart immediately jumped into my throat. Jack, it's after me! Dad, what's going on? I could tell from his voice that he was panicking. Something was wrong. Jack, you have to get out of here. Right now, you have to get out of this town and... His words were cut off when he let out a blood-curdling shriek before being abruptly silenced. Dad! Dad! You left, Jack? This voice was different. It wasn't Dad's. It was the voice from earlier in the house. 
Uncle Don's voice. You left before the reunion, Jack. It'd really mean a lot to the folks if you'd come. We want the whole family. My joints were frozen stiff. My blood felt like it frozen solid inside my body. Dad was in trouble. Who is this? And why does he sound just like Uncle Don? So come on home, Jack. We'll all be waiting for you. Even the old man here. The call ended after that. I tried calling the number back, trying to talk to the person again, but it cut to voicemail all three times I tried. It was clear I had to go back to the house again. I went back inside, strode back to the table. Lana looked up at me, worried. Jack, is everything okay? Who was- We have to go, I said, cutting her off. What happened? It's Dad. He's in trouble. Look, we have to go now. Wait, wait, what do you mean? What kind of trouble? I looked at her, trying to signal to her that now really wasn't the time for questions. Not only because Dad was in danger, but because I myself was just as fucking clueless. She reached out to me and said, Jack, please, tell me what's going on. I retracted. Look, here's what happened. The night Uncle Don was killed, he tried to reach out to me. I pulled out my phone and brought up the text messages. He was trying to tell me something about the old house. Something about some truth or something. I don't know. I went there and I didn't see anything. But now somebody or something from there has dad. Okay? There. Now come on. She stared in shock at the phone. I reached out and grabbed her arm to lead her out. Wait, where are we even going? I looked at her. Anxiety plastered all across my face and replied. Home. I led the two of us outside. Here's the plan, okay? I said, letting go of her. You remember where the old house is, right? Barely. She replied, obviously still shaken. Okay, look. I want you to follow me in your car, okay? We'll go grab Dad and get the hell out of there, okay? And we'll call the police or somebody to come out to the place. Anything goes too far sideways before then, at least we'll have a backup vehicle. She still just stood there, looking both frightened and confused. I couldn't blame her. Like I said, I was just as confused. But I couldn't just sit there knowing what happened to Uncle Don might happen to Dad as well. I hopped in my car and turned the engine over. Just before peeling out of there, I rolled down my window and called out to Lana to keep in touch with me over the phone. I then hit the road going at least 85 miles an hour or more. It was another 10 or so minutes before Lana texted me that she was following behind me. It was around 4.30 when I was pulling into the driveway of the old family home once again. Lana arrived just five minutes after. We got out and slowly made our way to the house. My legs shook with every step and I could see hers were no better. My mind was stuck. What was I gonna see? Was dad even gonna be alive? Who the hell was this guy even? Still never had any kind of answer for that. What was I gonna do? Reaching the porch, I attempted to look through the windows again. Still blocked off just like last time. Dad? Lana started calling out. Dad, where are you? Silence. I looked back to the door and began knocking. For about ten seconds, there was nothing. It was quiet. Still just like the last time I was there. Then, however, 
From the other side of the door, I could hear Uncle Don's voice shout. So come on, Jack. We're all waiting for you. Lana froze and looked at me. Her face drained of color, turning it from her natural olive tan to stark white. Is that... I responded by looking at her, horrified myself and slowly nodding. I closed my eyes and took a deep breath before turning the handle and throwing the door open. Dad? Inside the living room was still dark, but at the other end in the kitchen, I could see the dim glow from a candle. I stepped inside with Lana right behind me, about a foot away from the threshold between the living room and the kitchen. I began to see the dim light illuminate Dad's face. He groaned weakly through a cloth that had been tied around his mouth and I could faintly see bruises and small cuts all over his face. Come on and join us at the table. Kiddos will sit as one big family. A figure tall and broad-shouldered stepped out of the kitchen and took a seat at the table next to Dad. Me and Lana stood at the threshold. Come on now, the man said. I said join us at the table for a family gathering. I exchanged a glance to Lana and back to the table. The man's face was still mostly obscured by darkness. I couldn't make out anything outside of his nose and right eye. Seeing this though, I was shocked by one big thing. His outline was almost exactly the same as Uncle Don's, including his rounded nose. But his eye was all wrong. It didn't even look human. Appearing pupilless and like two deep violet colored marbles were stuck in his face. Hesitantly, I pulled out a chair at the other end of the table across from him and sat down. Lana stayed standing behind me. Lana, he said. What's wrong? Don't you want to take a load off? She said nothing. He shrugged and said. Suit yourself. Who are you? I asked. I heard him chuckle. Boy ain't wasting any time, is he? Well, maybe I'll go ahead and call the others in. I narrowed my eyes. Others? He turned to the left and cupped his hand to his mouth and called out. Come on out, y'all. Time we got everybody together. I heard Dad groan through his gag and fidget in his chair. From around the table, I could hear the old wood creak with footsteps approaching the table. I started looking around. What the hell? What is that? Who's... My thoughts abruptly died when I began to make out five other figures in the darkness. Each of them were about my height, one of them being slightly taller and the others being slightly shorter. Except one, that is, who is my exact height. Each of them gazed at me from the dark area around the kitchen table at me with dark violet eyes of their own. Now the family's all here, ain't that sweet? Jeered not Uncle Don. Mine and Lana's jaws hung slack. We were both horrified. What's the matter? Ain't you kids gonna say hello? You shy? They're your own family for Christ's sake. We were silent. Speechless. I can't believe this. How you kids are gonna be this rude to your own family? What, you blind? You can't see your own family resemblance? The crowd of figures gathered around behind not Uncle Don. Squinting, I noticed then how familiar the outlines were. Two of them in particular did most to disturb me. They were me and Lana. 
I could tell because of the way in which despite still being largely shrouded in darkness, their height and overall outline almost seemed to be a perfect replica of ours. It was like I was somehow locked in a staring match with my own shadow. I could tell the same held true for Lana too, with her face even more pale than mine. Take a seat, guys. Not Uncle Don told the group of shadows behind him. They all began to pull out and take seats at the table. With the exception of the ones that looked like me and Lana, they stood at either side of the table. All of them, including not Uncle Don, bore down on the two of us with marbled eyes. What is this? Who are you people? Lana exclaimed. This time it was another one that spoke. He told you it's our family gathering. It was a woman's voice. Familiar. The voice of someone I knew for a fact was long dead. My grandpa and Uncle Don. Ma? The figure leaned over into the candlelight to illuminate the face of my mother. Her skin looked so young, so fresh and smooth. So new. She was 65 when she died just a couple of years before the whole thing with the family barbecue. Now, though, she had the face of a woman who was maybe half that age. Well, there. She said, grinning psychotically. It's been a while, hasn't it? My tongue felt dry. The muscles in my jaws locked. What do you want? Look, whatever Dad did, please just let him go. Lana begged. Calm down, sweetheart, said another of the shadows. This one's voice deeper. This one I recognized as Dad's. He also revealed his face through the candlelight, also appearing almost five years younger than the man tied up and gagged at the other end of the table. That was when Lana froze up like how I was. What's wrong? Why don't you give your old man some sugar, huh? He asked. Lana slowly started backing away. Where you running off to? Not Uncle Don asked. The shadows of the two of us began to move in on her when I shot out my hand. Wait! I said shooting out my hand. They stopped. Let her go! I'm here! I'm the one you wanted, remember? Just let her go and you can do whatever you want with me, okay? I said I wanted the whole family here for this, Jack. I wanted y'all to meet the rest of the family. The ones y'all never done tried to speak to or acknowledge. What the fuck are you talking about? From my right next to Not Mom, I heard the unmistakable voice of Grandpa speak. Now I know you kids will raise better than to curse at your own family like that. At the dinner table too. He too then revealed the far younger looking face of my grandfather. It's alright, Pops. Not Uncle Don said. Like I said. They wouldn't have known no better. No thanks to this clown right here. He sent a sharp elbow jab into Dad's right shoulder, causing him to groan weakly in pain. His eyes were dim, yet still just as petrified. What are you guys talking about? Look, I don't know who you people are, or why you look like my family, including the people who have been dead for years now. And I don't know why you went and killed my uncle. But you told me to come here, here we are. Now, will you please tell me what this is all about? Not Uncle Don sighed and said annoyed. 
just can't ever enjoy a family gathering, can you? He then nodded over to not me and not Lana, who then promptly walked over to me and her and took us by the arms. Hey, what are you doing? Get your fucking hands off me! I tried sending a right hook with my free hand across Nami's jaw. It connected, but it did a little more than to piss him off, and he returned the favor with a hook straight to my stomach. I doubled over, clutching my stomach in pain. Now, now, you play nice, you two. Tease not, Uncle Don. I looked up to see Lana struggling against the hold of her own doppelganger. Get off me! She cried. <laughs> Let her go. I said, trying to find my way back up to my feet. I felt not me snatch the back of my head to force me the rest of the way up before seizing me once again by the arms. Not Uncle Don then stood up from his chair, jerked Dad up with him and made his way to the area to the right of the dining room. Lana and I were then being pushed along in close pursuit. We were forced along into the darkened hallway. About eight or nine steps out from the dining room area, and I was unable to see anything in front of or around me anymore. I couldn't even see Lana, who'd been pushed along right beside me to my right. This was then followed by the sound of a wooden door creaking open. He was leading us down into the basement, I realized. We were shoved forward, causing me to stumble and almost lose my footing completely. We were now in the basement of the family home, a place that admittedly, I'd never seen before in my life. I remember how only on select few occasions, granted I'd get curious about the old door at the end of the hall leading into the dining room, but each time I'd get close to it, Dad or Uncle Don one would usually stop me, telling me that I wasn't to go near that door. I of course never understood why, other than because Dad said so, but now with what I was faced with in that moment, and what I'd see next, I understood more than I wished I would've, as well as why Uncle Don fell out with the family. Surrounding us now was a dimly lit room, illuminating shelves upon shelves of old, dirty-looking books and glass jars with stuff in them. I won't describe too much here what was in them. Basically, think about any movie you've seen where the people are poking around a psycho killer's house. All the grisly trophies you'd see lying around hung up or on shelves like they were here. That's basically what this was, only somewhat more disturbing when combined with all the strange symbols that were painted everywhere. What is this? Lana cried disgusted like I was. She beat me with that question by two seconds. The family secret. Not Uncle Don replied. He turned to Dad and said, Ain't that right? Dad grunted in a pitiful attempt at defiance. Dad, what is he talking about? I asked. Yeah, yeah, why don't you finally spill it, old man? Not Uncle Don sneered before rudely ripping out Dad's gag. Dad's head dropped down toward the ground, lolling around like his neck was made of rubber. Dad, what's going on? Who the hell are these guys and what are they doing here? He looked up at me. His eyes were full of fear and exhaustion. I told you to get out of here, Jack. He muttered. Dad, what's going on? He exchanged a look between me and Lana, then to nod Uncle Don 
before then looking back to me and sighing. The family was desperate, Jack. Times were different back before you kids were born. Your uncle and I we were a couple of belligerent morons who, because your grandma and grandpa were always working, were left unsupervised a lot. He paused, sighing heavily. He likely would have stopped there if it weren't for not Uncle Don telling him to go on with it now. He glared back and continued. It was one day, Don and I, and we came home to find our folks crying. Said Grandpa had just lost his job and owed a lot of people a lot of money. And we didn't have any way to pay it off. We were in danger of losing the house. We didn't even have enough to afford much in the way of a decent meal. So me and Don were scared. We knew if we lost the house, me and Don would be taken from our folks, and Grandpa would likely be thrown in jail. That night, while in bed, I was praying to God that we wouldn't lose the house. While Don had another idea. He walked over to one of the shelves and took down one of the books, cracking it open. He then held up a page with weird-looking symbols, looking something similar to Asian or even some sort of Middle Eastern lettering along with a crude drawing of what looked to me like a shadow figure standing side by side, mirroring a normal-looking person. Not Uncle Don laughed and remarked. Go on. <laughs> Go on and tell them what that is. Why don't you? Dad hesitated, continuing to glare at him. What is this? Lana asked. He turned to her and answered. It's a guide to summon a tulpa, a mirror version of yourself. My eyes bugged out at this. Summon? My brain was screaming. He said summon. I couldn't believe it. For as long as I could remember my family, my father especially was a strong Christian. Anything even remotely involved with something like this, he'd have no tolerance for. I mean, for God's sake. That Metallica poster in my room probably would have been torn down and trashed a long time ago if the old man would have had his way. Now come to find out, he and my uncle were actually summoning shit as kids. Lana had the same thoughts, too. How could you? She spoke for the both of us. Dad was silent again. Not Lana then piped up. Oh, give your old man a break, honey. I mean, come on. You don't honestly think he was always a pious suck-up like he is now, do you? She's right, cheered not Uncle Don. In fact, you were quite the mischievous one back in the day, weren't you? Go to hell. He spat back. Not Uncle Don just snickered. I stood, mouth gaping. Dad, despite his best efforts at defiance, couldn't hide it. He was guilty. Everything that was being said was all true. We only wanted to keep the family together. He continued, voice completely devoid of emotion or inflection. We were afraid, Jack. We thought using the Tulpas would be able to have someone, a part of the family, with the two of us if the worst came to light. And look what happened. It worked! Let's have a round of applause, everybody! The others followed not Uncle Don's lead and erupted into a small chorus of applause. With not Mom and not Grandma whistling. You weren't supposed to stay! Dad exclaimed. Not Uncle Don's smile faltered slightly. It wasn't supposed to happen like this. You and him. He pointed to the shadowed version of himself. We're supposed to be the only ones. 
was just supposed to be you too. And we were supposed to be the only ones who could see you. We sealed you away when Pa got the new job. You weren't supposed to even still exist. Not Uncle Don turned to me and Lana. Well, I guess I'm not surprised about you two not being real family-oriented after all, huh? You just get to pick and choose who you do and don't consider as family. Is that it? Well, then I guess now it's your turn. What are you even talking about? Look, what's the point of all this? I asked. What is it you people actually want from us? He looked at me, glaring at me having dropped his wolfish grin. You know how the old saying goes, what goes around comes around. He nodded over to not Dad, who then walked over to Dad. It's about time that we show y'all what it's like to have to get locked away in the void. Not Dad then effortlessly pried Dad's jaws apart before somehow forcing himself inside of his body. Dad began gasping and choking and his body jerked and convulsed like he was in the middle of a seizure. Dad! I wanted to run over to him, but I couldn't wrestle against Natmi's grip on my arms. Dad fell to his knees, seizing on the ground. I could see his eyes roll into the back of his skull. What are you doing to him? Cried Lana. Nothing he didn't do to us. Not Uncle Don replied coldly as he observed Dad suffering intently. You're killing him! I screamed. No. He said coldly. Just making him a proper part of the family. He didn't want us to be part of his family, a family of actual people. So instead, we're going to make him part of ours, whether he likes it or not. Dad's body slowly began to relax before going completely still. Then his eyes snapped open as he slowly stood up again. His eyes were now the eyes of the other tulpas. My eyes grew to the size of serving platters. My mouth went dry and my heart dropped like a stone into the pit of my stomach. I looked at Dad, now taken over by not Dad and looked over to not Uncle Don. I wanted to throw up then, realizing that's what he must have done to Uncle Don that night. I was even more horrified when only a couple seconds later Dad's skin began peeling away like a snake molting its belt. It stripped and peeled away slowly, revealing another layer of flesh underneath. It was like watching Dad's skin peel away to reveal another him, this one being paler and with the tulpa eyes. What have you done? I cried. This time, not Dad replied. He just told you, boy. He's now part of us, just like Don. We're complete now, the two of us. Now, it's time to bring your kids properly into the fold. I felt Not Me's hand start to force me to the ground from behind me. Not Lana did the same with my sister. Maybe now we'll have a proper family gathering, huh? Not Uncle Don said, plastering his deranged grin from before. I tried to struggle, attempting to pry and even bite at Not Me's fingers, but it was no good. His fingers were the equivalent of miniature crowbars as they forced open my mouth. His arm strength was unreal, like what I'd maybe expect from someone double my size and weight. But instead it was a shadowed version of my lanky, puny, muscled self. Me and Lana were both on our knees with the topas prying our jaws apart. 
In one last desperate attempt, I jabbed my thumbs into Nami's eyes. Admittedly, I was a bit shocked to see it actually work, and I was able to actually free myself. Once not me reeled back in pain, shrieking in a way I'd never heard of before. A way I wouldn't know how to describe other than to say that it might have sounded like what you'd imagine like a dragon's roar to sound like. Bestial. I sprang back to my feet and rushed to try to help Lana. I charged and managed to spearhead not Lana sending the both of us to the basement floor. She began clawing viciously at my face from below me. I could just barely keep her pinned to the floor. Lana, run! I shouted. She stood up but froze, mouth hanging open in horror. Damn it, go! Now! Get out of here and get the cops! I saw out of the corner of my eye, not mom and not grandpa snatch her by the hair from behind. She was sent hurtling to the ground and I was soon overtaken by not Lana, who immediately proceeded to smash my face with her fists. I was helpless as blow after blow stoved my face and more and more. My vision began to fade as I watched the other tulpas gather around me, watching not Lana smash my face in. Alright, that's enough. Not Uncle Don said, putting his hands up. Can't have you getting carried away there and killing him, you know. He looked down at me, grinning even wider and said... How would we be able to complete the family then, huh? With that, not Lana raised back up and stood up. I laid on the ground, surrounded, dazed, and bloodied. Not Uncle Don waited for not me to come closer. Now, if we're done horsing around, I think it's time to welcome you to the family, Jack. Not me leered down at me, his violet eyes sparking from his shadowed form. What do you think? He said to not me. Not me responded by immediately grabbing and again pulling my upper and lower jaws apart. I felt a sense of pressure, like something was crushing my throat from the inside, as not me began to force himself inside my throat. I began choking and gasping for air, just like Dad did as I spasmed on the ground. My body quickly began to go numb, losing all feeling in every nerve and muscle. I couldn't move anything except to twitch and writhe on the ground. The whole time the others watched intently, with smiles as big as not Uncle Don's. A black cloud quickly formed in the middle of my eyes, shutting me out of my sight completely. Following this, I eventually felt my hearing begin to slip away too, and I soon became almost detached from my body completely. I couldn't feel, experience, or do anything. I was little more than a fly on the wall, while not me invaded my body completely, inside and out. Just before I'd be lost for good though, I faintly saw Not Mom reel in pain after being struck in the back of the head. Lana stood there holding the old snow shovel we had down there, even though I'd never remembered using it. She quickly took it across Not Grandpa's face, knocking him over, but was overpowered by Not Lana. Not Lana ripped the shovel from her hands and tossed it to the side, before sending a powerful right hook across a jaw that knocked her backwards. For whatever reason, I guess, out of its own weird sense of attachment or loyalty like how not Uncle Don was talking about, this seemed to catch Nami's attention. 
halting him from doing to me the same thing that happened with death. Don't worry about her. Not Uncle Don said. She's a big girl. She'll handle that herself. You focus on doing your part. But it was too late. I began to feel a sense of relief beginning to return to my arms and legs. My topo was losing control, being too focused on not Lana. He must have realized this because I could feel him struggle to try and resume the process again. But it was too late by that point. Soon, I felt all of the pressure from a few seconds ago leave my body, out through my throat. Then there stood not me once again, still in normal tulpa form. Ah, damn it! what are you doing? exclaimed not Uncle Don. Now look what you've done, you lost him! I saw not me exchange a quick look at him before refixing his sights on me. He dashed forward to try and have at me again. But he wasn't quick enough and I managed to roll over and jump back to my feet before he could get me. I was about to try and bum rush not Lana again. Her in the middle of forcing Lana to her knees again and prying her mouth open like how mine was when I was cut off by not dad. He backhanded me, sending me tumbling to the ground face first. I looked up to see not Lana disappeared with Lana herself seizing and choking. Lana! I shouted. I tried again to make a break for her, only for not me and not Uncle Don to cut me off. Oh no you don't, not me said. You're not gonna keep her from us. <laughs> Besides which, the two of us aren't finished. He went to grab at me again. I dipped to the side dodging him yet again before running. He and not Uncle Don followed after me in hot pursuit. I didn't look back, but I could hear their eager footsteps thudding behind me. I all but flew up the basement steps before throwing the basement door open and running through. I'd made it out, but just before I had the chance to slam it shut again, not Uncle Don managed to catch it, impeding me from being able to close it. You can't just run off like that, Jack. We're your family. We'll always be together. His voice somehow sounded even more devious when he said this. More psychotic like a maniac. I didn't say anything. Instead, responding by thrusting a swift, stiff kick straight in the middle of his chest that sent him tumbling backward down the basement steps. As soon as I did this, I slammed the door to the basement before throwing myself against the door to brace it as a series of violent crashes rocked against the door from the other side. As the knocks got more and more vicious to the point I was almost afraid they'd actually managed to bash it down from the hinges I reached for the nearby spare kitchen chair we kept in case we had more company than expected and wedged it in between the door and the knob. It seemed to hold for the most part at first, but I knew they'd be through the door before too much longer even still. That's when I decided to make a break for the front door to my car. I flew out the door and across the front yard to my car, where I then threw it into reverse and slammed on the gas. Peeling out of the driveway and flying down the street at probably better than 75 or 80 miles per hour. That whole drive felt like a blur. My mind was on autopilot, with sheer panic having taken the driver's seat. Like I said before, it was at least a 45 minute to an hour drive from the old family house to Dallas. But at that moment, it felt like no time at all had passed before I was driving back into town. When I was able to sort of come to, 
I pulled over into the nearest parking lot at a convenience store and tried to catch my breath. My head was pounding, my heart quaking in my chest. It felt so unreal, so unbelievable, so bizarre. I couldn't even begin to comprehend what the fuck had just happened and what I'd find out. Even now, in some ways, I still can't really wrap my head around any of it. My father, a quiet, kind, respected, and God-fearing Christian man along with my uncle, brought these things into our world as kids. They thought if the home was lost, the family would be lost too. So they summoned the Tulpas. They brought them here so that no matter what, the family would always stay together through them, even if they were split apart. But then they tried to get rid of them and apparently it didn't work. I don't know how, but my best guess is that they were bound to the house itself in some way. And for years growing up, neither myself nor Lana ever knew about them because they were trapped in the basement. Until that night when Uncle Don went back possibly to destroy them once and for all. At least that's what I'm hoping was the reason why he went back. For some reason though, I can't shake the feeling that Uncle Don may have gone willingly. Allowed himself to be taken willingly. I feel like that might explain the falling out between him and my father. Perhaps Uncle Don wanted to join with the Tulpa. Either because of some weird fascination or some sort of desperation. Such as being goaded somehow by the Tulpa like I almost was at the house. I don't really know though. What I do know is Uncle Don's warning either way was genuine. He didn't want me to ever go back to ever meet the Tulpas. Even if he'd given himself over willingly, he must have wanted it to end with him as well. Unfortunately, I also know that this isn't over after the house. I think a big part of the reason they wanted the three of us that day in the basement was because while in their normal shadow bodies, they can't leave the old house. But with the bodies of Dad, Uncle Don, and even Lana, now they can. I won't leave my house anymore after caught one of them just two days after the incident in the basement walking down the sidewalk. It was not Lana and she spotted me, grinned and walked away. They're watching me. I've already called the police and talked to them. Fortunately enough, I guess, I managed to convince them to have a patrol pass up and down my neighborhood twice daily to keep on the lookout, but I know that's about as effective, especially against them, as tattling on a bully in elementary school. It's been a few days now since that encounter on the street. I don't know what to do. I don't know how or if it's possible to get rid of them, but I can't go out there until I find out. I feel like it's only a matter of time before she or one of the other two who can move from the house find mine and come for me and then, then the family will be together again, forever. I hope you enjoyed Family Gathering, as written by Corpse Child and performed by Justin Reynolds, Otis Jiry, Melissa Medina, and myself. 
Corpse Child's third and newest short horror story collection, Masks of Death, is now live for digital and available for pre-order in hardback at psychotoxin.com. Grab your copy now. See what face the Reaper takes and forever rob yourself of a peaceful slumber. Voice actor Justin Reynolds has an intense adoration for music. He loves all the artistic and creative endeavors of life, from the beautiful to the ugly. Voice actress Melissa Medina's work can be found on the official Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, as well as her website, hearmelissa.com. That's H-E-A-R-M-E-L-I-S-S-A dot com. Voice acting powerhouse Otis Gyrie hosts Scary Stories Told in the Dark, which recently premiered the first episode of its 12th season. Check him out here on Sunday nights. You won't regret that you did. And as for me, I'll be right here next week. Now, our weekly descent into the depths has just about come to a close. But before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining us for tonight and remind you to take a moment to stop by our iTunes page and leave Chilling Tales for Dark Nights a five-star review and a kind word. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram if you haven't already. And of course, subscribe to us on YouTube, where you can find an archive of our work going back to 2012. And consider signing up as a patron at our website, ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com, to show your support and get all of our content ad-free. I'm your host of the evening, Steve Taylor, and it's been a pleasure. Tune in again next week when we once again turn off the lights and turn on the dark. Sweet dreams, listener. Sweet dreams. Ha 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 